Elon interacts with you. He retweeted about you. That was terrible for my mental health, to be completely honest, because I felt like I had to be as knowledgeable as possible with every single detail as it pertained to Tesla, Elon, SpaceX, whatever. I was like literally on this thing, like, oh my God, what has broken? I got to talk about it right now. And at some point I'm like, okay, this is crazy. Like if I do that for 20 more years, I'll die. <laughs> Social power becomes more powerful than money power. Elon has both. As the graphics get better, as the AI in those systems gets better, at some point, a percentage of the population is going to be like, well, this is better than real life. Why would I be in real life? That, that kind of scares me. I'll be completely honest. For me, it's like, okay, what's the purpose of us being alive then? If I think back to, okay, why did I leave Tesla in the first place was to do the things that I wanted to do every single day. What I don't want to do is generate content just for Elon to interact with it, right? I mean, he clearly has a lot of demons. He has a lot of things he has to work through as a human being. Go yourself. Is that clear? First question, who are you? So I am uh, Farzad Misbahi. Uh, I've been uh, doing, I guess, YouTube for the better part of two years now. And uh, I've been uh, just happened to land in the spot completely out of just happenstance, luck. Uh, it was something that I started doing for fun. And then before that, I, I worked at Tesla for a little bit over four years. I was at a uh, distributor before that for a little over seven years. Uh, had started my own business with my wife as well. While I was at Tesla, we had an escape room in Pennsylvania. I'm just a dude who just likes to do stuff that is fun. I, that's, I don't even know how to better explain that. And this is what I'm doing now. I'm doing the, I'm, I have a YouTube channel and I'm talking with you. That's who I am. <laughs> Uh, but your stuff are doing great recently. I think I subscribed to you when you had like 2,000 subscribers, 3,000 subscribers. But your Elon Musk stuff okay. are blowing up recently. Yeah. Yeah, That's that stuff has been... Um it's been very fun because it's, it's, I've been following Tesla pretty closely for the better part of 10 years. Um, Elon is somebody that I've, you know, I, it, he's somebody that I... I admire. He, he does a lot of great stuff, you know, especially from a business perspective. Uh, he's just, uh, he's just somebody that you can tell is trying hard to make good stuff happen. And that's, you know, it, it's inspired me, uh, to work as hard as I can to do what I can to do good stuff, you know, for, for people. So, uh, and because I'm kind of close to that story, it seems like folks really enjoy watching my sort of my take uh, as it pertains to what goes on, you know, with uh, Musk's businesses and, and whatnot. And I enjoy covering it because it's just a natural interest to me. I love technology. I love sort of uh, the automotive industry. I, I love artificial intelligence and I love building for the future. Right. And it just so happens that here's a guy that that is finally <laughs> so we got somebody who's working really hard making that stuff happen and so it's it's hard not to like them from that perspective but yeah it's i'm very fortunate again i'm just very lucky to be able to do what i do it's wild okay sometimes you you are angry that you are so limited to elon musk stuff or you and you wish oh i wish i could talk about agriculture or something like that <laughs> okay uh i mean i wouldn't say that i'm I don't think I'd ever, I ever get angry, honestly. I mean, I think for me, it's, it's funny you ask this question because I put a, I put a post out there today on X where I was like trying to, I was thinking about, okay, you know, when I started this channel for fun, at some point I'm like, okay, if I, if I keep doing this thing, I'm going to have to be doing a 
um, I'm going to have to pick a niche, right? I'm going to have to finalize my brand. I'm going to have to pick a niche. And, you know, you're somebody who's done extremely well on YouTube, obviously. So you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Like YouTube puts you in a box and then uh, for you to really explode in that box, you have to just really nail that box perfectly. And for me, it's like the, the way I've I'm trying to approach this thing is I'm trying, I'm trying to hold very true to what I find interesting, uh, every single day. And it just so happens that a lot of the stuff that I find interesting is in the Tesla space is in the sort of Musk space, but, but there, I am starting to veer off, uh, from time to time, especially on X, because I feel like that platform gives me a lot more freedom to explore. Uh, whereas on YouTube, I do feel like I, I, I don't want to super disappoint my viewership by just going, you know, like, oh, here we, I'm going this way now. Bye. Kind of thing. You know, I want to be really cognizant of that. But at some point, I do think what that what works best for me mentally is if I don't put myself in the box uh, as much as I can. And so X has been a perfect place for me to experiment, to sort of like dabble and to experience that a little bit. And then who knows, maybe on YouTube over time, I'll sort of shift gears and maybe start covering other stuff. But I'm just going with the flow. I'm going with the flow with whatever feels natural. And um, right now, what what I feel natural is the content that I'm creating. And I'm just very happy that that content is resonating with people. There's nothing more I can ask for, really. Interesting. Uh, what about the business aspect of what you are doing? So you are, uh, so you are, I'm, I'm, I was very curious about, uh, so you recently uploaded the, the podcast that happened on X, uh, Spaces uh, with Alex Jones. And it went uh, viral here on YouTube. So, and I'm curious if yeah. you are making money on that. Yeah, that stuff is definitely, so it, I didn't expect that podcast f to generate any revenue whatsoever because I fully expected YouTube to demonetize the hell out of it because it's got Alex Jones, Andrew Tate, controversial topics. I'm like, yeah, this is a disaster. <laughs> I might get a strike. <laughs> the opposite happened. The opposite happened. It was, it, it was, it was able to be monetized. And, and so, and that was shocking to me because what that tells me is that maybe there is now a hungriness, like that there's hunger for, uh, viewpoints that are controversial, but need to be brought forward that have been like, say, artificially suppressed that are now coming to, are coming forward. And you have advertisers that seem very comfortable advertising on stuff on YouTube that's controversial, but they don't want to do it on X. So that's really weird, but it did generate, it did generate a really decent amount of revenue, which I was surprised. Um, for me, the supercuts are more about bringing, and this is where like, I'm trying to think about, okay, what, what am I doing here on YouTube? What I, what I'm thinking through is like, if I think my channel would perform best, if I bring forward to my audience, what I'm exposed to, what I'm exposing myself to, to learn more about a certain person or to learn more about the dynamics of what's happening. And that's where those supercuts I think are, are very valuable because X is still a very small platform. X, you know, if you think about the number of views on YouTube versus the number of views on X, it's like a hundred X, a thousand X, who knows? And so I thought, okay, if, if we take the supercuts, you know, we, we take out all the dead space, we boost the audio, we do, we do everything we can to hold true to, uh, you know, the, the, the copyright laws and try to modify it in a way so that it does bring additional value to the listener. Then I'm like, okay, we do that. We put it on the channel. We show it to the people that 
watch my content. And then if that brings value, great. And if it doesn't, we'll see it in the algorithm. You know, we'll see the views go down and be like, Hey, I don't want to watch this. This is crap. But the opposite's happening. These supercuts are performing really well on YouTube. And it works for X too, because then you have a bunch of people that are like, what the hell? Where is this conversation happening? This is crazy. How can you have these people on the same call? And then, you know, we make it very obvious. Link on this, you know, click on this link to go back to the X space if you want to listen to the original, all that stuff. So, um, it just happened organically and it happened from that guiding principle of I'm going to cover what is interesting to me because you know, that pot, that supercut is not a Tesla thing. It's a societal cultural thing with some very controversial people. It just so happens that Elon Musk was in the middle of it. And I've, I'm figured, okay, it, people like Tesla, you generally like Elon Musk probably makes sense to put this on there. And I naturally find it very interesting. So, and that's how it happened. Okay, inter interesting. Uh, but uh, my question was, uh, I want you to, so you are making this now as a business, right? This is your full-time thing, right? So uh, I'm curious to explain me a bit yeah. more about yeah. like, so you are getting revenue from X, like explain me all the stuff about the business side of what you are doing with you. Yeah. So YouTube, I mean, YouTube is some, somewhere upwards of 90, 95% of the revenue that I'm getting from the, this media thing. Uh, initially it started as a hobby. It was a, I'm doing it for fun. It was after I, I left Tesla. So I had zero intention to turn this into a business whatsoever. And then as, as I became more and more fascinated with the process and I really started to love it. And I saw that there was a viable use case for a business from, you know, ad revenue. And I mean, really that's where basically 100% of my income, come well, on, not 100%, like 98% of my income comes from ad revenue, 2% comes from uh, Athletic Green sponsorship. Um, but over time, as the channel grew into, into uh, became more popular, it's just the number kept going up. It just kept going up. I'm like, okay. So then I was able to bring somebody on board with uh, uh, David Carbot, so, who, who is uh, my media guy. And he helps me with super cuts. He helps me with edits. He helps me with those X spaces uh, and some you know, more high him. production video. And then, your first employee, yes. <laughs> your first person in the team is very special. <laughs> it is. Yes, sir. Yeah, and, and he's great. I mean, David, for anyone who's watching this video, who's looking for sort of somebody that does really good work with that, David's incredible. I don't want to hog him to myself. Like he's building his own thing and I want to make sure his name is out there. So David Carbot, you can find him on X. Phenomenal, phenomenal work. And yeah, it, and it just so happened that one happened randomly. Link in the description. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> and um, yeah, and that just happened naturally. You know, that just happened. Uh, he sent me a cut of a, of, of a, of a video <clears throat> on my channel. And then after I received them, like, this is great. Do you want to do more? Sure. And then we just, that's, and then it transformed into the relationship we have now. So, and, and, you know, it, it sounds loose and it sounds like I don't really have anything perfectly planned because I don't. <laughs> My, the luxury that I have is that I, I don't necessarily have to have this kind of business because I've been very fortunate to where I'm at, at this point. It's just my guiding principle after leaving Tesla was, invest your time in things that you truly love. And I truly love this. And I think maybe that's why it's successful because maybe people can see that I really love this. And that's why, you know, the channel is performing the way it's performing. And th that's where I'm really grat grateful. It's just, I'm going with my gut. I'm going with what I love and it's doing its own thing. So uh, can you tell me a bit more stuff about what you were doing at Tesla? Yeah, so I was uh, in the supply chain team 
I worked uh, on parts distribution with the company. So I joined in 2017 and my really my job with uh, a few other folks was to grow the the supply chain and uh, distribution team to be able to uh, keep track with the release of the Model 3. So back in 2017, Tesla basically was transforming from a 50,000 per year car company to a 500,000 per year car company. And the manufacturing was blowing up. It was getting gigantic. But the parts distribution centers and the service centers and all that stuff, you know, the supply chain, the ugly stuff, the not sexy stuff to, with manufacturing also needed to grow. And that's, and that's uh, where I came in. So, and it was primarily on the distribution side of parts. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I did that for a little over four years. Majority of the time I was outside of Pennsylvania, out of Pennsylvania, we, uh, or they had a facility or they still have a facility there. Um, and uh, yeah. And then my last year I moved to Texas with the intention of, um, starting working at the Austin Gigafactory here in Texas before it was built. Uh, but then in uh, towards the latter half of 2021, I made, I made the decision to, you know, start my own chapter, you know, with my wife, start traveling and kind of figure out what life has in store for me after that. Okay, interesting. Uh, so f first of all, I don't know if you know anything about me, but when I was doing... Uh, you I hugged Elon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure which you are. Uh, here we'll probably have one of the two biggest fans of him in the world talking and exploring stuff. So, <laughs> so but uh, I'm bringing this point to tell you uh, a thought that I had. So when I was doing the three months out of uh, SpaceX and X, living on my sleeping bag and all this stuff, it was very uh, frustrating to be checking all the time what Elon is doing on Twitter and if there is anything new that he is doing for me to get some hints about. Uh, uh, so probably you have similar thing because a lot of the stuff that you are doing depends to his if he has an announcement, if he tweets something interesting and you're going to make a piece of mm. content out of that. So do you ha feel this like, oh my God, I need to be active. I need to have notifications to cover this immediately mm. and all this stuff. Or you don't feel uh, at all this? That's such a good question. That is such a good question. I used to feel that a lot. I'm going to be completely honest. I used to feel that a lot. And that's where I, I found myself. That's where a lot of my burnout came from was that, you know, I'm a person that who's sort of my interests change uh, from day to day, the things that I that I want to talk about change from day to day. And what was happening was, I, I felt like I had to be as knowledgeable as possible with every single detail that as it pertained to Tesla, Elon, SpaceX, whatever. And so, and, and that's what I was. I was like literally on this thing, like, oh my God, notifications on. <laughs> what has broken? I got to talk about it right now. And then that was terrible for my mental health, to be completely honest, because, because if I think back to, okay, why did I leave Tesla in the first place was to just pursue the things, like do the things that I wanted to do every single day. And I, I love Tesla. I love Elon. I love everything that he's doing. Okay. But like, sometimes I just want to play video games. Sometimes I want to go travel. Sometimes I want to, you know, go out on a day with my wife, right? Sometimes I don't want to look at it. <laughs> I just, I want like 24, 48 hours, 72 hours of just like empty brain. Right. And 
as the time went on, I started becoming more comfortable with that idea where I didn't, I didn't feel like I had to sit down and make content every single day to cover this story. And that, that took a, that took a switch of my brain because I, I'm sure you feel this as a creator too, is like, if you're not on top of it 24 seven, you probably feel like you are missing out on something or you are losing the opportunity to make a piece of content that's great. Or if you have a growth target that it's going to somehow prevent you from reaching that growth target or that your audience is going to forget about you and they're going to find somebody else that does something similar or the same thing and they did it better potentially because you didn't do anything, right? And at some point I'm like, okay, this is crazy. I can't live like that. Like if I do that for 20 more years, I'll die. <laughs> it's just unsustainable. So so at some point, I told myself, okay, just be comfortable with the fact that some days you're not going to be as into it as you as you usually are, and allow yourself to just let your mind wander where it goes. And that's where, for me, X has been super helpful because I've been using X as the place to dump that a creative juice of wherever else my mind goes. You know, sometimes I want to talk about politics. Sometimes I want to talk about technology or some sort of trends that are happening there. Some, you know, I, I, my wife and I are expecting a, a child in, in May, our first kid. You know, I made a post about uh, becoming a father. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I made a post about becoming a father. And what does that mean to me? You know, what, the, ways, the way that I feel. And so I'm very much like, I would consider myself a very creative person and I have in my entire life. Like I, I love to do the art of creation a lot, but not specifically related to Tesla and Elon and whatever, a hundred percent of the time, even though I very much love to do that. But if I don't have those breaks, when something does break that needs to be covered and I'm burned out, I'm not going to be able to cover that nearly as well as I should unless I had a fresh brain to go into it. And that's where having those breaks are very, very helpful. And I force myself to have them. And I have someone like my wife that keeps me honest with that too. That's very important for me too. I have somebody that has the checks on me as well. How, how, do, you, how do you struggle with that now? Like, do you still struggle with it today or has that changed for you? No, after uh, I finished the Elon Musk thing, uh, I, it was uh, fine because I stopped uh, checking and having notifications. So now I don't even have notifications when people call me for a phone call. So I don't, I only get it when <laughs> I w want to now, but it was, it was so uh, people will probably not understand because it's your job. You want to be good at your job and you are constantly trying 24 yeah. seven to, to see all this stuff. And then you need, you've, yeah, it's, it, it, it sounds like, Oh, it's not a big deal. It's just notification. But the stress that you have, I don't think a lot of people can, can, can get this. Uh, I'm curious as it's well. Uh, I, I experienced the same thing. Uh, when Elon, when you talk about it, I, I had like a hundred followers when I started on Twitter, when I started the, the whole series. And just because I was doing it about Elon and Elon is a superstar on Twitter, uh, on X, uh, he, I gained like, in two and a half months, like 40,000 uh, followers on uh, Twitter. So, mm. uh, because of this, so there is, this is a huge market if you are associated and if you are, uh, talking about Elon. But it becomes a lot more yeah. crazy when Elon interacts with you. So, and I saw a lot of stuff yeah. that he retweeted about you and all this stuff. So uh, I'm curious to hear your growth experience, how it went. Yeah, I mean, it, it started sort of, you know, 
I, I've had Twitter for since 2008, I think, is when I signed up for the service. I've had it for a long, long time, but I never really used it. You know, I, I put my, you know, I use it like I kind of how I use it now. I have a brain fart and I put it on there. <laughs> it's just now more people are like, oh, that's brain fart smells good. Like whatever, you know, I don't even know. But I use it in a very similar way. And at some point last year, uh, Elon started following folks that cover Tesla uh, pretty closely. So he followed me. He followed uh, Sawyer, Dave Lee, Rob Maurer, Stephen Mark Ryan, uh, a bunch of people. I mean, there's the list is long. And um, because I happened to be in that space and already covering it and he started following me, you know, anytime he, you know, I would write a thing that is related to Tesla, then, you know, he would reply or he would like. And that that when he does that, because his following is so freaking large, that gets additional exposure for the post. It's I am it's crazy, but I'm conflicted, right? It's one of those things that's like it's it's difficult sometimes to sort of mentally go through it because what I what I don't want to do, and I'm being completely honest, and I think this would be a disservice to Elon as well. What I don't want to do is generate content for the sake of just for Elon to interact with it, right? And that's where it becomes really difficult for me. That's like one of my battles because it's like, okay, I want to be, I truly want to be impartial when it comes to Tesla. I truly want to be impartial when it comes to Elon. I am absolutely biased towards the positive of those companies and that person because they've taken care of me. Like the reason why I'm able to do what I do is because Tesla allowed me to essentially become financially independent. So by nature, I'm going to be biased, right? But I try my best to like okay just look at the facts look at what's happening you understand the space really well just talk about it in that sense right just talk about it in that sense and if elon finds it fascinating or something that he likes to share okay what am i supposed to do <laughs> i feel like if i if i you know it's at some point I'm, i gotta be like okay what's the alternative don't do what you like to do and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop doing what I like to do. So I'm just gonna keep doing what I like to do. It just so happens that the dude interacts with it. And when he does interact with it, the app becomes unusable <laughs> because my notifications are like freaking going crazy, right? And so at some point, I, I got used to it. It's just, it's just a new norm, you know. For the first couple of days, I was a little like, oh, if I post something, Elon's gonna see it. Oh my god, that's kind of crazy. What, what is that about? You know, but then after a while, I'm like, okay, it's just Elon. Who cares? It's another guy. If he doesn't like it, you know, whatever it, it is, what it is. Like, what am I supposed to do? He's another human being. I'm another human being. You know, I think as long as, as long as it's obvious that I am, I am doing it for me, you know, if to myself, as long as I make it obvious to myself that I'm doing it for me, I have zero issues with whatever happens. Elon interacts, Elon doesn't like or whatever else, but it is, it is challenging. There is a challenge there because I'm constantly asking myself, you know, uh, on, on a weekly basis, almost a daily basis, why am I making this post? Am I making this post because of me or am I making this post because of my audience? And sometimes when I'm making Tesla related posts, am I making this because I want Elon to interact with it or am I making this because I this is exactly what I believe and this is 100% aligned with how I'm thinking about it? I've thought about this a lot. I really have because we can't ignore the impact of somebody that has as much influence as Elon, uh, when they follow you, like it's, it, this is sort of in, in a digital world where social media has so much way weight in how people talk to each other. 
you have to think about this, right? And so I spent a lot of time thinking about that. But my conclusion was, if it aligns 100% with what you want to do, and it's something that you're doing it for you, not for anybody else, just post it. And then once I really honed in on that idea, and I became comfortable with it, it's been freeing, because then I don't feel the weight this massive weight of like, oh, Elon follows you. I'm like, okay, he follows me. It is what it is. Okay. Great. <laughs> There's nothing else I can do. Interesting. I'm happy that it, it was a process though. And you are honest about it because it yeah. was, a, it was the same thing about, for example, I, I, one of my inspirations on YouTube was Mr. Beast. And after I be, I became like friends with him and he was watching my stories on Instagram and all this. I was like, Oh my God, if I post this, this is going to just, I didn't have any interest of, uh, actually he, it was, but it gets even crazy in your position because not only this dude that I admire will see it, but it's a very good business decision for him to see it and interact with him. So it all becomes blurry as well. It's very, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're 100% right. It, it's, it's, it's difficult. It is difficult. Um, I mean, but I'm, I'm also very thankful for it. Let's be honest. I'm very thankful for it because it is teaching me how like it has taught me the value of doing things for your own happiness and for the like this is a fulfillment for me right even if the richest guy in the world is like theoretically can interact with my posts the fact that i'm not thinking about that when i create content to me is like like i should give myself a pat in the back because <laughs> it's like holy shit you're 100 percent right if somebody had uh if somebody wanted to leverage that attention for a sort of a as a business case, they 100% could, you know, and I, and I'm sure at some point Elon's going to be like, okay, this dude is like, okay, these unfollow block or whatever, right? Like at some point, if you get greedy with that stuff, it's, it becomes obvious because people can smell BS. People can smell it. Right. Um, but it is 100% a process, but I'm very grateful for that experience because I think now I've experienced something that I, I never in a thousand years, you know, not until we sat down and talk about this, have I really actually, you know, uh, reflected on this. Never in a thousand years would I have seen myself in this position. And the fact that I am and I learned some valuable lessons from it, I'm thankful and I'm eternally thankful because I know some, sometime in 10, 20 years down the road in my life, I'm going to be able to look back to this experience and be like, okay, this is the lesson I learned. I'll be able to apply it. 10, 20 years down the road, you know, I don't know how or why, but it's a, it's a big enough thing that I've learned. Like I, I can feel this in my gut. It's a big enough thing that I've learned that at some point it's, it will help me with life at some point. Wow. What about other, uh, things that came because of this experience? For example, you are getting VIP access here and there. Like, for example, for me, I got, when I put the hug with Elon, I got some billionaires to send me text on, on uh, Twitter. So like, what, <laughs> what, what did you got? I mean, cause it's crazy. Like how much power this guy has. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for, from my standpoint, the, really the only, I wouldn't even categorize this as like a VIP access, but I think the thing that I, that makes it feel different than say like a, like a regular 
person, you know, which I very much consider myself to be very much a regular person that just happens to have a camera, right? And a microphone. I like to talk. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's somehow aligned this way, right? Um, I would say that when we, when I go to these like Tesla related events, which I would go to anyway, uh, I'm instead of being just somebody in the audience that, uh, gets to experience it. I have a lot of people that come up to me that, you know, want to talk to me, want to take a picture, want me to sign something, which for me is like insanely surreal. Cause I'm like, why do you want me to ruin whatever I'm signing? Like I literally had a guy, uh, I have had this happen multiple times. They'll come up and like have a, like a piece, like a trim of their car that they have, you know, people sign like Sandy Monroe has signed it or Elon Musk has signed it. And they're like, can you please sign this for me? I'm like, this is crazy. Like, why would you have me sign? Like, it makes no sense to me. But like that kind of experience is crazy to me, you know, because you would think in your head, why would somebody do this? It's, it's And the reason why is because they feel and this is where it's so humbling. They 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 like you. They like you so much that they want uh, a memory of you on something that they love. And that's extremely humbling, you know, and that's 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 been my biggest sort of, uh, I guess, quote unquote, VIP experience is that I get to meet so many people that really appreciate what I do. And then I get to see them as real people and not just like a number on a, on a website. They're actually living human beings that have an appreciation for what I do. And that's incredibly humbling, you know, and it's it's wild. It's crazy, you know. Um, yeah, that's I mean, honestly, outside of that, it's really. You know, maybe I get, I, I was able to meet like a couple people from Tesla at an event because, oh, I know this Farzad guy. You want to meet him? Sure. You know, we shook hands and I'm like, yeah, I used to work there. They're like, yeah, I know. And then we talk about work and then we move on. I'm like, okay, that's just a normal conversation. <laughs> I just happened to, you know, meet that person because of that. But nothing, you know, nothing comes out of that. It's for me, it's more like meeting the people that l like what I do is what's my biggest takeaway from having this platform. And being associated to the brand, I guess, in, in an adjacent way. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, very deeply. And I actually think the world that we are moving in 2024, 2025, 2026, whatever, uh, social power becomes more usable and more powerful than money power. So uh, I'm curious mm. To hear your thoughts on this topic, and it's interesting that Elon has both. Yeah, that is actually very interesting. You know, the the way I think about that. So, so you're literally saying like somebody that has a lot of followers on social media will be able to. Uh, it's like it's like a it's like a higher a higher value asset than actual money. That's that's your thesis. Okay. Um, I mean, what's crazy about that is in a world of artificial intelligence where everything becomes incredibly cheap, like, and then money almost has no purpose. Why wouldn't that be the case? You know, uh, <laughs> well, um, what do you think? Cause that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting thought. Like, and this is where I struggle to, to like, um, this is where I struggle to, conceptualize what I've built with the social media platform because, because, you know, I, I don't know if you suffer from this as well, but I have, I have a serious case of imposter syndrome that I'm trying to work through, you know, I'm trying to work through my imposter syndrome. And 
So like, uh, like a question that you've just proposed, I've never thought of deeply, really, because I'm like, well, it, this is just, it's for fun. It's still for fun. Yeah, it's it's generating good revenue and it's something that I enjoy to do. But, you know, I don't have like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. But what you just described is going to be very much part of the times. Like I, I, if AI successfully uh, brings the cost of... Um, technology, products, services down so that most people can afford whatever they want, then of course, by like by rule, money becomes a lot less valuable because most people will be able to have basically everything they want. And so what are the things that become really valuable in that world? I still think where you live is going to be extremely important because and valuable because not everyone can live in Malibu not everyone can live on a Mediterranean not everyone can live in Barcelona right so like that still becomes a very valuable thing and then we have to decide okay do we use money for that or do we use how many followers you have <laughs> to decide who lives where you know it becomes really weird it becomes really really weird what so what do you think this world looks like then like what what's your conclusion from this well, for me, I was actually thinking a bit more short term, not going to the AI abundance, which you took it to a very interesting point that actually it seems like is irrelevant the money there and social power is the power that we're going to be striving for, probably. But I was actually thinking from a personal experience, like, uh, I'm a YouTuber, okay. um, let's say uh, I have whatever, a lot of subscribers. But in my country, I am kind of the most famous person. Oh, I got some confetti. <laughs> uh, so uh, being in my country and, and, and seeing this uh, power of being the most famous person in, in the country, which is only one million population, uh, it kind of opened my eyes and thought that, bro, even if I had $10 million, $100 million, this power that I'm able to talk to any person I want, I'm able to podcast any person I want, mm. I'm able to start, comp I'm able, I go to the streets and like show, people show me so much love. I go to places and pay for food and they don't let me pay because they like me. So, and it's like all the other stuff that you are doing as a businessman, all the leverage that you need is in that social power. So I'm like started becoming zero interested in money now. And I'm only caring about social power. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, that that's fascinating. And it's something that, I mean, I, I very much, I 100% see where you're coming from. Because I mean, I see this too, you know, like I, I you know, I'm, I, I don't have a hundred million dollars in the bank, but I, I know people that do. And those people are able to create relationships, make deals, put themselves in a position for to really capitalize on an opportunity that without that, uh, let's say that social clout, let's say without knowing somebody or without knowing without them actually without other people knowing that they were as successful as they are, they would have never gotten that opportunity. Right. And it's kind of like a byproduct of maybe how much money you have, you know, in, in a way. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's like, oh, you're the guy. You're the guy that I saw that won this thing. You know, like, for example, jo uh, Novak Djokovic, 
the you know he he's uh the he's won the most grand slams in tennis uh in the history of the world more than federer more than nadal and i freaking love nadal i was born in spain and uh nadal is my guy but joker you can't deny him right Novak Djokovic, even though he has a hundred million dollars in the bank, to your point, that dude is just, he doesn't have to worry about nothing. Why? Because he's Novak Djokovic, <laughs> you know? So, uh, but, but the very interesting point there is that I think that probably gets amplified. I really think that gets amplified as money becomes less and less, like we enter the age of abundance. Like, I think you're 100% right and it's only going to get wider like the gap between the power of social clout, whatever the hell you want to call it, followers, how many people know you, the power of that versus the power of money will diverge, right? But I don't, is that a good thing though? I don't even know if that's a good thing. Do you think that's a good thing? <laughs> well, f first of all, that's the, we're not talking about, uh, for everyone to understand, we're not talking about the end goal here or success is money or success is fame. Of course. We're just comparing th things, which, which one is a better tool to use and navigate to do stuff in the world. And like, uh, but right. I, I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, to me, uh, <laughs> to, to me is, is, is uh, this topic is, confusing a bit because I, it's crazy to me that actually when I see one person that has a hundred million dollars and has zero followers, I don't consider him as socially successful. Like, and success is like, let's take mm -hmm. a lot of, it's like uh, a, a lot of metrics uh, to judge success. And like, I feel if you want to live in a farm, in the middle of nowhere and like be happy, that's success for me. But let's talk about social success, what other people think is successful. I think if you have a hundred million dollars and you get like 1000 views on your podcast or whatever the thing that you go as, as a guest, I don't feel that's power. I, I don't know if you disagree. Mm. I agree. I mean, I, I think, I think there's, well, there is power in money though, right? There's definitely power in money because it does allow you to, um, it does allow you to set yourself in a, in a situation where you are able to leverage that money to get more money. So in a way it's access to power. But I think the, the conversation here is the, the social power, which if you really think about it has been part of human nature for really ever. I mean, you think about, you go back to like, 10,000 years ago and when we were small tribes of people like who had the most power like the elder before money before money right <laughs> it's like the 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 people at the head of the tribe like the elder people as well right like those people had a ton of power so it's like that that social power was super super important experience and having been there and being seen as somebody that's very important and has achieved a lot you know um and, and so there's no reason why, like, it's still true today, but I think it's two kinds of different, different forms of power. I have to think about this more deeply because I, you bring up a really interesting point. You know, it, you really do bring up a really interesting point. What, what I can't help but go, like, the way my brain works is like, it, I always end up 10 to 20 years ahead. It's like, 
and I almost, I almost learned this from Tesla, honestly, like being, being at the company has rewired my brain of like, what are you, what's the thing that's happening now? What's going to look like 10 to 20 years down the road. Right. So it's like, for me, it's like, okay, how can I bring this back a little bit? And then think about what that means in today's world. 100%. It has a ton of power. It's just, again, my, my, my thing becomes in a world of abundance. I, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I don't know. It's such a fascinating topic, dude. I got to think about it more deeply. <laughs> okay, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Me, I started believing that Elon is a bit more interested in the social power the last couple of years than the mm. money power. <laughs> and uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Mm. I, think, I think for sure. I mean, I, I think if, you know, Elon's the richest person in the world, he's got 200 some odd billion dollars in assets and stocks and whatever. Um, I think, I think it also helps that the guy isn't, um, motivated by money per se. You can kind of see this too, like in the way he behaves, you know, when he told the advertisers to GFY that a guy who cares about money will never say that <laughs> ever. So that was interesting, but I, I do think I, the I social, watched, I watched, I like watched the these social, clips so many times. It was amazing. I was like, God, oh my God, he really said that. Oh my God. <laughs> Wild. You know, and it, it makes it even crazier because no one in his position would ever do that. No CEO of any other company on planet Earth would ever in a trillion years do that. So like it, it's it's already unique enough to tell uh, a uh, business partner to go away, but it, it's even more so when the CEO of the some of the most popular companies on planet Earth is saying that at the New York Times uh, panel in front of tens of millions of people watching. <laughs> okay, wild. Um, but I do think that the the social power for him, I think, is also very useful because if you really think about what he's trying to do with Tesla, what he's trying to do with SpaceX, the long term goals of those businesses are, are to transition the world towards a certain to his vision which is, you know, sustainable transport in Tesla and then, you know, reusable rockets and going to Mars with SpaceX. To be able to do that, you have to create relationships with a lot of nations. You have to create a lot of relationships with world governments uh, and, and other people. And in a way, a lot of those things do happen through money. You know, like if you go to the to uh, say the government of, uh, let's use a recent example, um, Italy, for example. He's been to Italy a couple of times. I know Italy's trying to court him to come there and make a gigafactory for for Tesla. They're trying so hard to get him there. Like that would still happen if Tesla, you know, Tesla's making money. It's a good company. It's obviously very successful. But I don't think Italy will go nearly as hard and make the social sort of, you know, getting him on the stage and having him talk about the future, making the announcements very public. You wouldn't see that unless Elon does have that sort of social power. And so when that happens, not only does that work for Italy, because now they're getting a person in there that's revered worldwide and people see as somebody that's very successful. That works for Italy because they're like, oh, look, look at how good we are. We're bringing Elon in, which is the social power. But then Elon can also leverage that social power to be like, they're going to put me on a camera and I'm just going to be able to talk about Tesla. <laughs> and then millions of people will hear about Tesla and then the brand will grow. Right. So it's like it's. I 100% agree with you. And I don't know, like, and I, what I do wonder, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, I, I wonder how much of this is truly premeditated where he sat down and done the math. Cause he's obviously a brilliant guy. 
or it's just like he's just flying by the seat of his pants and the opportunity came up and he's just going with it because it, he knows it's going to help him. Like, I don't know if like, I don't know if he's actually investing in social power or he just happened to have social power because he's doing the right things without him even trying to get social power. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, first of all, um, I thought what I thought when I, he was traveling across all these countries to Turkey, to Israel, to Italy, to whatever he did, uh, he went. I thought it's more like a X game of like him uh, getting uh, mm. uh, some relationship with the regulators or the presidents to understand about X rules and all this stuff. So that's what my initial thoughts was not about Tesla and potential uh, Tesla stuff, which uh, a problem completely wrong, but uh to the question that you ask me, if he's going, if he's uh, consciously uh, trying to, I think he does, uh, subconsciously though, not like, okay, today we are going to upload this thing because of this and this, but uh, you focus your energy where, uh, like you are, very, he's very smart. He's not just mm, doing stuff. Uh, so he's probably thinking about uh, naturally and subconsciously that I need to grow on that. He feels it is a gut feeling and you're drawn to that thing. Like you are, we, he was mm. with Tesla. So I think it's, it's him naturally understanding the power of this and investing subconsciously mm. time on that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I think, I think somebody, you know, I think that's where I'm landing too is like, at that point, it's going to, it's like impossible to ignore just how much power, like that social power you have. It's impossible. Like it, it's, it's so weird that the richest man in the, in the world can also have the biggest gaming live stream in the world. <laughs> you know, like what? <laughs> it's so wild. You know, it's, it's, it's so strange, but it really talks to how, you know, if he sees the numbers when he's live streaming Diablo and he's, he's got a hundred thousand people watching him. That's that's about as clear of as an indication of social power that you'll ever get. Like so, something so benign and random, you have a hundred thousand people watching you play Diablo Four. It's wild. It's crazy. But I, I think you have your finger on the pulse as far as where we're going as a society with social power. I really do. But you you see what uh, what we are talking about now with presidents and all this. What do you want as a human when you are, you want to feel in a way powerful that I can talk to any president I want. I want. So it seems that even for him, this, uh, social power is more important. And like this social power gives you so many perks. It's like it, the war happened in Hamas and in Israel, in Palestine and Israel. And he went there and they, gave him a private tour on the places that uh, people died. And it's like, I'm not yeah. saying that, the, the, but this is who else in the world? Like if you are talking about perks to have a private show of the place that is the most interesting place in the world by the prime minister of the place and all the higher people of Israel, it's like, and that's be, they don't do it to, they didn't do it to Bill Gates. They didn't do it, but Bill Gates has also social power, but let's say Jeff Bezos or someone else that has less social power. Yeah. So uh, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, 
it's it's a, for for again someone of his stature like what somebody like him that's in that position it's impossible to ignore and i think it comes down to the individual how they want to leverage it like do they do they want to leverage it for personal gain do they want to leverage it to build their businesses do they want to leverage it for more exposure or are they just doing it because you know or do they want to leverage it because they feel like they're doing the right thing and that's where like it's up to the individual to decide but like so very few people have that power so very few people have that power and i think that's part of like you know, if I'm going to comment specifically on Elon, I think that's part of why he has such a big following because it's my sense that most people that like him feel that he's leveraging his power for the betterment of humanity, both social and for money, right? Like money power and social power. And that's my gut feel is that most people perceive that he's do leveraging that power for good. And we've seen so many examples of people that have money power and social power and they don't end up using it for good they end up using it for personal gain like i mean good for them when i say good it's like for the betterment of humanity at least that's the perception right i'm not elon I don't, i'm not in his brain i've never personally met the guy but I, the perception i think is that he is using it for good and that's why he has so many people don't like him if i were to guess okay so like let's move Let's move in the a bit of the futuristic uh, plans about his companies. I'm, um, I want you to yeah. talk maybe about Starling. What do you think of, of Starling and the long-term play of Starling and <laughs> SpaceX as a whole later? Yeah, I, I think Starlink is a very interesting one because Starling kind of came out of nowhere. You know, Starlink was never part of the of the initial spacex mission of uh going um you know uh multiplanetary species it was an offshoot of trying to get spacex to be more profitable it was like well we're already sending the rockets up in the air how much more expensive is it going to be to send our own satellites up there it's like well, like nothing like okay do it <laughs> and space and, and starlink was born and What's hilarious about Starlink's success is that the, the only reason why Starlink is so successful is because every other satellite internet provider is the worst ever, right? There is a giant innovation gap between what Starlink is able to do and what other satellite companies are able to do. And a lot of it is tied to the rocket technology. You, you know, you can't really put up 10,000 satellites in the in space that are in low earth orbit that give you low ping and good bandwidth unless you are able to shoot up a metric ton of rockets into space and the only player that can do that is SpaceX right so it's a moat it's very much a moat so what does that mean long term it means that SpaceX will probably have uh, well, not probably will have it will definitely have the most satellites in space by far out of anybody they already do like it's probably 99.9% .9 of satellites in space will be space uh, Starlink at some point. Um, and then they'll have basically, I don't want to call it a monopoly, but there'll be no reason for anybody to not use uh, Starlink internet access in places that aren't like super heavily dense. Right. And you think about, you know, how much of the earth is uh, covered in just land and where people are. 
like there's so much land <laughs> out there that is now getting really good internet internet access that never was the case before. So I think what Starlink is going to enable over time is I think it's going to enable people to become like Starlink and renewable energy, like solar panels and batteries, as that becomes more affordable. I think we're going to see like people starting to become like get away from city centers more and be willing to go out more into like, say, lands that typically people aren't in because now you have access to internet, which allows you to like, if you're a creative and you're somebody and in, in the age of artificial intelligence, uh, you'll be able to basically live a very comfortable life without having to be in a city unless you really want to be in a city. Um, and that's where I think Starlink is going to have a, a, a giant influence on, on the population. It's probably going to take 20 years for this to happen, if I were to guess. But that's where it's very exciting for the, for the long-term potential of the company. They're, you're going to have great internet everywhere. It's like, why wouldn't people go to places where they can have their own land and, you know, live that beautiful ranch life if they really wanted to, wanted to, and they can get really good internet while they're doing it. That's what I think is going to go. Where do you think it's going to go? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, bro, already when I ask you something, you answer and then you ask me back. This is the podcast that we ask you questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> I'm so used to asking, you know, because I do my own podcast too. So it's like, sorry. <laughs> no, no, but yeah. I, I don't mind fair because I, it comes from curiosity for you to learn. So I don't mind. I enjoy yeah, yeah, it yeah. because when you ask always questions, it's weird when they ask you back. So I'm just referencing that it was weird. For me <laughs> I get it. Pro probably you ask me the most questions out of every guest that I ever had. So uh, that's why I have. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. What I was saying. Uh, so there is a couple. I want you to maybe tell me if you think as well. Uh, they will have a separation as companies with uh, SpaceX. But... Uh, Mm. You said something interesting before as well. You said that cities will become, land will become more useful in the future. And I actually think that's not the case because of what you described now. Okay. Uh, so uh, I had uh, the last, uh, the whole December, I spent wearing a VR headset. I spent 30 days in a VR headset. Uh, for a YouTube video without taking oh, well. it off, waking up on it, sleeping on it all the time. And uh, with the MetaQuest uh, 3 and with also, I don't know, probably you saw Mark Zuckerberg and Lex Friedman talking uh, with the VR and with yep. the holograms. Wild. So, so it's wild. So I just think of the future, the next 10 years, location will be... Uh, irrelevant in a way because you can have anyone you want in your room so there is no reason to be in san francisco but i think so so you can still have that world and be able to live in a place where you don't have to pay an arm and a leg and be on top of each other in a city center and instead you can be living in you know some middle part of the country that typically wouldn't be accessible or really livable because of lack of resources and like lack of infrastructure. But with the advent of Starlink, with the advent of solar power and batteries at your house, 
uh, and the advent of making energy extremely cheap because of renewable sources, which will make desalination of water incredibly cheap and transportation incredibly cheap. So like you can actually have plenty of water in places that don't have water. Like infrastructure will change, I think, to make it very, very affordable to live in beautiful, gorgeous places that are sparse, where you don't have to be in a city. And you can still do that on top of that too, right? You can, st- and you can leverage Starlink to do that. Like, cause otherwise the alternative is, cause, cause I guess what you're describing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that people that, like you, you see a future of always being connected. And because we're always connected, um, we're going to end up being in the place that we already are, which is, uh, you know, 80% of the population live in cities already, right? And so if you live in a city and all you do is wake up and put the stupid thing on your face <laughs> and that's how you live your life for the rest of your life, then that's what it is. And that's, and that's where we, where you see us going as a, as a species. Did I, uh, did I say that? Is that correct? Uh, Maybe not, but uh, you are, you are, uh, you just spotted. I have a big problem that I am stupid in explaining things. So, <laughs> and I don't know why I'm doing no. this job as, <laughs> as, 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 as a podcaster. But, no, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, probably I don't think locations will matter as much to be in, in Portugal, or to be in San Francisco or Texas because there is all these people. Probably locations because you are going to, I don't know, have a new rolling in your brain and like have uh, uh, ev- everyone having a meeting with you and seeing them in, in front of you because like it was crazy uh, when I, I had the VR I felt that was the real world and w- communicating with other people and having a mixed reality headset mm-hmm. I think where is where the world is kind of going and I think Meta and Apple Vision Pro and all this stuff are trying to tackle this problem so I feel that the locations will not probably mm-hmm. matter in the future because if you have a neuraling and you can see a person as a hologram in your place, why you should pay hundred uh, times the rent and just not m- move to Bali or India or whatever the thing is to, uh, so this is kind of what was, uh, my rhythm of thought that I was explaining badly before. That, that makes no, that, that helps me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's totally a possibility. I mean, I think. You know, I, I've, I've used VR in the past. I have an HTC, what is it, Vibe or something. I haven't used it in a minute because it's like, I hate dealing with the wires, you know? It's like one of those things where like, I haven't bought like one of those wireless ones where you can just stick in your head. But you know, that, that kind of worries me a little bit too. Like I, I can see the, the incredible, obviously it's, it's, it's such incredible technology and it's going to give so many people the ability to experience life in a different way. You know, and it's, it's game changing technology. But then, it, like, if you take that to the extreme, it's going to be humanity living in a digital world instead of a physical world. Because as, as it gets more advanced, as the graphics get better, as the AI in those systems gets better, you know, as the feature set gets better, the resolution gets better, then, you know, at some point, a percentage of the population is going to be like, well, this is better than real life. Why would I be in real life? You know? And then the question becomes, as technology gets better, does that percentage get, get, get bigger? And if the percentage gets bigger, then I'm like, okay, so then like, what are we <laughs> at that point? You know, it's like Black Mirror. You ever watch the show Black Mirror? Yeah. It's like that. And I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's a good thing, you know? And that's where like, it's like one of those, one of those like scary trends for me, 
because it, it does mean live, leaving the physical world behind because the digital world is going to be that much better. Um, I don't know, man. That that kind of scares me. I'll be completely honest. That kind of scares me because I like the physical world. I like, you know, I like being in, at, at a at a fire, playing my guitar, hanging out with friends. I'm the guy with the guitar at the fire. Okay, I'm sorry, everybody. You know, eating eating s'mores, having a beer, and you know, enjoying the like enjoying the smell. But then, you know, your point is okay. Well, you're gonna be able to do that anyway in VR at some point. So like, what's the difference? And you won't be able to tell the difference between real and not real. So it's like, okay, just do that in VR. It'll be the, exactly the same thing. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> well, we don't know anyways if we're really living in the real world now. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's another philosophical thing about consciousness and all this stuff that Elon is very interested in. As yeah. well. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, do you, do, what do you think about the Starlink? Do you think it will become independent company? I read that somewhere that uh, it will be, have an IPO itself or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I think the plan was at some point to IPO Starlink. I believe the president of uh, SpaceX, uh, uh, Gwen Shotwell, said that at some point they'll IPO Starlink and you know make it its own thing. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if maybe the plans have changed because what Starlink is doing now, it's enabling SpaceX to be basically cash flow positive, meaning that SpaceX is no longer losing money because you know the Starship development is very expensive. So Starlink can now fund SpaceX and. I'm not so sure, you know, like, like if the IPO Starlink, will SpaceX still be able to raise funds through Starlink to be able to become self-sufficient? And theoretically, I guess they could because they're really just selling rocket services to Starlink, you know? So Starlink can, part of the cost structure for Starlink will be the, the paying for rockets. And then SpaceX revenue will come from Starlink from the services that they charge. And then they pay Starlink and Starlink gets that revenue. So I guess in theory, you could still make SpaceX cash flow positive. It's just, you now have uh, a public company in Starlink. And I, I know Elon doesn't like running public companies because of the regulations and all the other things that you have to sort of do as a public company. You have to report earnings every quarter. You have a, you know, uh, so many freaking regulations that you have to uphold um, and, and all this other stuff too. So maybe at some point it, it will break out. And, and, and But I think eventually SpaceX will become public but it's probably going to take a long time for that to happen. So who knows? We'll see. It all depends how the company wants to deal with uh, how they want to count the revenue and, and how, if it's going to like if going public will will reduce the chance for SpaceX to fund their Starship operations. They won't go public. But if it doesn't, they'll go, they'll go public. Interesting. How do you have an estimation of how many years you see SpaceX going to public? Is public is like 30 years, 40 years? Um. Oh man. Uh definitely not this decade, for sure. I think for them to go public, you know, and, and Elon has talked about like the threshold that the company would have to meet is to have a, a regular, you know, he says regular, regular um regular uh flights to Mars where it's like they have a sustainable uh, self-sustaining base and they have stuff going there. But I'm not so sure they have to wait that long. Because to become public, really, the, the reason why you want to become public, 
truly is because you, you want to have access to public funds. You, you want to have access to the public to raise capital from public markets. And then uh, the people that work at the company that have stock can then uh, basically earn a significantly higher living potentially by their company name trading in the public markets versus the private markets. So it's like, okay, at some point, if that becomes the priority for the company, then they'll go public. Uh, but they require, I think it would be much better for SpaceX to do that if they say are doing Starship flights to the moon where they're generating like space tourism in a way. Maybe they're doing intercontinental flights for cargo from, say, Australia to New York in 90 minutes or something where they can generate a ton of revenue from that. Um, definitely not this decade. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the 2030s, SpaceX go, goes public. But that's so far. That's so long from now. Anything could change between now and then, you know. But if it were to go public, definitely not within the next 10 years. It's probably going to take longer. Okay. Okay. By the way, when I went, to, just for everyone to know, when uh, did you ever went to SpaceX in Boca Chica? No, I never saw it in person. Mm -mm. It's crazy. It's like, I, and there is so many, I was living there for like in my tent for uh, in my sleeping bag for like one month, one half month. And there is thousands of people that just drive by as fans. They want to see the rocket. It's like a museum you can see. And wow. like, it's, ve it's, it's very interesting. The things is ginormous. And like, I, you get to learn so many stuff by just, I, I got to learn so much stuff about SpaceX because of all the tourists that they came. They were so knowledgeable about what they were watching. So I had, I had, I have a small education on SpaceX <laughs> because of that. But, nice. uh, she, she, yeah, it's funny. Uh, but where everyone driving close there to Boca Chica in Texas is, Definitely worth a two, three hour drive if wherever you have to go and see there what they're built. And one of the interesting things, I got shocked, bro. You can understand. Every week they were building a new tent, a new facility. They are so fast. They have 24 seven people working, yeah. working shifts and all this stuff. And it's like, it's so beautiful to see a, such a big company operating like a startup in real life. So it was very, very inspiring. Uh, but by the way, I, I don't say stuff uh, uh, normally of me uh, out of my experience, but I, I knew that you are going to appreciate this and probably the audience since we are on the topic and I have some yeah. knowledge. So, <laughs> so shifting gears yeah, to for sure. what you know most which is Tesla. You are one of the most knowledgeable people, public people that they are no longer at Tesla now that you know so much about Tesla. So I'm curious to hear, you, you covered this a lot uh, on your channel, but uh, future of the uh, Cybertruck, Optimus, future of Tesla down the line. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you for that. Uh, I think the, the Cybertruck specifically... Uh, I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. I'm already seeing a lot of uh, very unique reactions out of it. I, I'm, I'm fortunate because I live in the Austin area in Texas, and I, I've already seen the Cybertruck in person after they launched it like two or three times on the road, driving around. And it looks absolutely insane in person. It looks completely, completely crazy. But I think that the Cybertruck will surprise a lot of people because the the vehicle is not doesn't just look crazy. 
it actually has some some function to it, not some function, a lot of function to it that actually makes it a superior product to say a regular gas truck in a lot of cases. And a lot of that is related to uh, running costs of the cyber truck. So it's going to be a lot cheaper to run than a gas car or a gas truck because electric is way cheaper than gas and electric uh, motors are way more efficient than a gas motor. And then uh, you also have things like steer by wire, which is powered by the 48 volt architecture, which makes the truck feel very small to drive. So one of the biggest things about a pickup truck, uh, and some people like this, but I don't know why they would. Most people, I think, find this a hassle, is that a pickup truck feels very big when you drive it. You know, you, you got to turn the wheel a bunch of times. It, the driving dynamics are optimized to have something in the bed so your ride quality is not the greatest in a pickup truck. And the Cybertruck has sort of fixed this uh, in, in, a, in a lot of similar ways than say the Rivian R1T has, which the Rivian is a phenomenal product as well. But where the Cybertruck I think is going to have a, a big advantage is that it's manufactured for really high quantities where the Rivian R1T is manufactured to be made in say maybe 50,000 units per year. The Cybertruck is going to be made, uh, at least, uh, for about 250,000 units per year. And I expect that to be more. I think, you know, this is just a guess, but based on how much attention the truck is getting, how much demand there is for it already, the fact that Tesla doesn't really advertise that much, if if at all, in a lot of countries, um, and how that truck is going to perform in the real world, I do think that Tesla's probably going to be able to sell half a million of these per year, which will put it right in line with, say, a Chevy Silverado, a uh, Ram 1500 type truck, which are like the second and third biggest truck makers in the, in the, in the world behind the F-150, uh, the Ford F-150. Who knows? They might, they might sell more than F-150 at some point. But so that, that in itself is going to create the Cybertruck. I believe it's going to be incredibly successful because of that dynamic. And then if you go down the road with more of their products, you know, you got Tesla's full self-driving suite, which is going to allow people to not have to drive, which, you know, that is game changing by nature. It's probably going to be slow in how it gets rolled out because there's a lot of regulations. There's a lot of laws that the company has to follow. Um, but then that same exact hardware and software that they're using for the cars to drive themselves, they're using that same exact thing to power the Optimus robot, which is a human or robot that's going to learn by watching somebody do a task like let's say it's going to be able to watch me fold laundry and it's going to learn how to fold laundry and then that robot plus every other robot that has ever existed will learn how to do laundry like the matrix right but you just have a human or robot and they don't have to do anything different uh, really from the car they've set up the hardware and software so that they feed a bunch of data to the ai and the ai figures out how to move the object you know, with the car, it figures out how to drive. With the robot, it figures out how to walk, pick up stuff, fold things, wash things, so on and so forth. So if Tesla figures out how to do that, you know, let's say Tesla figures out how to do that, then we have a disruption in the physical world because now you're going to have a robot that's going to be able to do a lot of physical tasks that people can do now. And that's part of like that age of abundance is now we've dropped the prices of things so much because the cost of building something and the cost of, 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 of some sort of service becomes pennies on the dollar because you're paying for a robot one time. That's probably going to cost somewhere between 25 to $50,000 and say the United States versus paying somebody $50,000 per year with health insurance and whatever else goes on top of that. So the costs of everything come down. But then the, the other side of that, 
it becomes, okay, so then what are people going to do? Like what's, what's going to happen now? If physical jobs are not done by the Optimus robot, what are people going to do? If, you know, we don't need truck drivers and taxi drivers anymore, what are people going to do? And that's where, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about how that transition is going to happen because I feel like it's that middle part of going from where we are today to an age of abundance. There's going to be a lot of societal disrupt disruption because these technologies, I believe, are going to happen a lot faster than people think. And typically governments are there to ensure that the transition is clean to go from one place to another. But from my experience, most governments are very slow, especially in the United States. The government is very reactionary, is not proactive. And so we're probably going to have to experience a lot of disruption, a lot of loss of work, a lot of crisis of meaning before we reach that age of abundance. But that middle part is weird. That middle part is weird. I spend a lot of my a lot of my time thinking about that. And Tesla will likely be one of those companies that are leading from the front when it comes to transitioning us to an age of abundance. But then we need other bodies to step in and help us understand how to solve for the crisis of meaning and the potential massive disruption of jobs that we'll likely experience from this transition. And I'm not saying this is bad or good. I'm just saying this is what's happening. And I think we need to figure out how to do that cleanly. It's difficult to actually imagine robots in the real world. When you were talking, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. But like, what are the jobs? And then I was starting to imagine, oh, I'm a YouTuber and I need a videographer to film me. I would probably not need a videographer to film me. I would just need a robot to follow me around and it will do an amazing job or something like that. So I, I want you to walk me through like, the transition and like what are the actual jobs and how it enters the real world yeah that's a fantastic question so we'll definitely start with jobs that have you know like a low let's say low skilled low skilled labor that requires something as simple as moving something from part a to part b right so for example i'm from the distribution world uh i mean when i used to work at tesla i was in parts distribution so a lot of the functions are pick up objects from this place and then move it to this place. Manufacturing is the same thing. You have a manufacturing line, but you also have to take the objects from one place and bring them to another place, right? A lot <laughs> supply chain, like supply chain, which is the thing that makes the world go, is move things from A to B. I'm sure a lot of people can conceptualize if you can have a robot that you know, you, you, you don't even have to change the area that the person works in today, right? A lot of these jobs are optimized for people. There is a lot of robotics in places like Amazon. There is a lot of like automation in places like Amazon and Tesla and stuff. But most companies don't have that. Most companies, the areas are optimized for people. And so if a lot of these jobs are just move, pick up thing and put it down somewhere else, why can't a robot do that? And then all of a sudden you have uh, a, a, a massive disruption in industries like supply chain, distribution, manufacturing, because you can literally plug and play a human with a robot, right? So that's, that, that's one example. Another one is things like lawn care and maybe potentially construction. If these bots are designed, you know, to just learn from humans and they have fingers and they can manipulate things, this is going to take a while. Again, I want people to ensure that I'm not saying this is going to happen tomorrow. But this will happen at some point. This might happen in 20 years. This might happen in 10 years. This might happen in 50 years. 
but it will happen at some point. If you have jobs where somebody's picking up an object and manipulating it to build something, right? Like say in construction work, one of the biggest things about construction is that it's it's often dangerous. You have to take a lot of steps to ensure that people are safe, rightly so. You got to make sure that they're harnessed in, that they're wearing the right gear, that the tools are optimized for safety and so on and so forth, right? But then if you have a human or robot that's able to do that, at a fraction of the cost over the long term, because you're not paying a person, you know, per year, you're just paying for the robot and the robot's able to do it. And you don't have to worry about, quote unquote, the safety of that robot because you just replace it with a new robot. If something goes wrong, then you can go a lot faster than you can now with a human because of that safety dynamic then you don't have to worry about the human getting tired or getting sloppy because robots are robots. They don't have to sleep, right? And so now you have a leverage. You, you can now two to three X the work output out of the robot versus the human in that same job. And so now you have a forcing function that says the company will prioritize for the robot because they know they can cut their costs down by two, three, four X especially because they don't have to worry about safety. They don't have to worry about HR. Oh, and by the way, the cost of the robot costs a lot less than paying a human. And I can go down the list, right? Like literally anything where you can picture a person doing a task with their hands, a robot's going to be able to do. And I'll use the ChatGPT example for the digital world, right? ChatGPT hasn't really... You know, and this, this is like the positive side scenario. ChatGPT, in a lot of cases, has disrupted people's work, you know, has disrupted, has allowed people to have like um, two to three X potential on say like coding or something. Your best coders are now way better because they have access to something like ChatGPT, which in turn could replace two or three coders that you don't really need anymore because your top performer becomes two, three, four times better, right? And this happened in the digital world. This happened with coding. This has helped me with some of my creative stuff for my, for my, um, for my content, like say I want to do research and I want to spend time like, you know, uh, throwing out some ideas and having the AI throw something back at me that I can think about. It has helped there. But then you can also use ChatGPT to potentially create artwork or, or Dolly or Midjourney. You know, instead of paying somebody like a art person, like a, like somebody that can make your thumbnail X number of dollars, you could use Midjourney and Canva and you can slap something together and it could probably be 80, 90% as good as most of the stuff that you get from most people. So then your bottom 50% of the folks that create thumbnails are now disrupted because you either use Midjourney or you pay the best. Right. So like whatever's happening in ChatGPT world right now, I think is going to happen in the physical world. Um, and you know, I, I, I do worry about, I do worry about the impact to the economy in a way, uh, in the medium term until we get to that age of abundance. That was a long answer to your question, dude. I don't even know what your original question was. <laughs> <laughs> While you were talking, I, rambled, I was thinking, I'm sorry. Uh, no, it was perfect. So much knowledge. Uh, in, uh, in 10 minutes of answer. <laughs> so, uh, so, <laughs> uh, so while, while you were talking, you said, uh, you were explaining how it will happen in the real world uh, with the robots. And I was thinking, okay, Tesla, they want to use their vehicles as Ubers after when you don't use them. Uh, probably this will happen with the robots as well. There will be the mailman, there will be the babysitter, there will be the cleaner, and there will be the factory worker uh, when they are yep. 
have nothing to do or something. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, you think about like, it, so for example, in my neighborhood, if I have a bot that knows how to fold laundry, like I could just have it walk down to my neighbor and be like, yo, give me five bucks. I'll send the bot down to your house. Why, why wouldn't that happen? Or stick the bot in my self-driving Tesla and have it, have it drop off the bot 30 miles away from here to help somebody fold the laundry. Like, why couldn't I do that? Are, are governments going to control these things or uh, like because it makes so much sense for governments to control these uh, things uh, or you think co private companies will? I mean, I think governments will definitely try to control it. You know, I think I think and because, you know, you have to think about like each each country definitely has a different way of operating government, obviously. I think if I talk about the United States, which I think, you know, the government that I'm most familiar with by far, I think that, you know, you have like this dynamic of like state government and, and federal government here in the States. You know, some some states are much more free market, like Texas is, is very much free market, where regulations are not you don't need as many regulations as say New York to start a business or to run a business. And it does uh, typically mean that you get stuff done way faster. But when it comes to things like robotics, I think where governments are going to want to regulate probably very heavily, they're going to want to regulate. I'm not going to say they will be able to regulate or if, even if I want them to regulate really. But I think that the, the, how we should think about it is there will be disruption to human work from automation, from robotics. And so I think where governments are going to want to step in is to try to somehow tax the companies that are taking advantage of this labor to try and supplement the, uh, the, the people that lose their jobs with some sort of basic income of some sort. Like, I think that's probably what's going to happen. Uh, from the government's perspective, in addition to regulating for safety, obviously, like we want to make sure we have safe regu regulation, you know, ensuring that we uh, have robots that are working uh, in a safe manner and all that stuff. That stuff's definitely going to happen. But if we're talking about like where they're going to have the most impact, most likely, especially as it pertains to us as human beings, they're probably going to want to regulate the the amount of money that would generate these companies. But the, the flip side of that, then this is where it gets really interesting is at some point, this will be a deflationary force because now you're going to have all these robots. They're going to be able to do things a lot more accurately, a lot faster. And they're going to, you know, you get enough of them in a building. They're going to be able to do 10x more than a human would for the same exact amount of money as you would pay human or less, which means that everything, you know, supply and demand will say everything else becomes cheaper over time, especially if demand continues to grow for the, for the product or, or the supply continues to grow for the product, which brings prices down for everybody else so it's not you know the amount of money they'll be able to raise from this technology and day one will be the same in day you know 1000 it's just the robots doing 10 times the amount of work and then we have an age of abundance from that thing that they're that they're creating and so it's interesting like like okay the regulation for robots and automation is going to look very different on day one as a versus what it looks like i think in day 1000 or in day 10,000. And watching that transition is gonna is gonna be interesting because my gut tells me, at least in places like the, like the United States, I think we're gonna have well-meaning regulation and well-meaning laws that could actually stifle or create a disincentive 
for this technology to be implemented because of how it's imp- because of how that law and regulation is implemented for robotics. And I honestly, I'd, I'm still thinking about how that's actually going to play out because it still feels a little bit ways off. Like, I don't think Tesla's bot is going to hit like our lives in in very high quantities until like the latter half of this decade. But now that I say it, it sounds a lot sooner than most people think, because I I don't think most people expect to have a human or robot in the house folding laundry in 2028. And I think that's very possible. I think that's very possible. Wow. Uh, One thing uh, I had uh, Robin Hanson, I don't know if you know him, it's a famous economist, and he was explaining me this concept of uh, after you have all this artificial intelligence and robots and all this stuff, the economy, now it takes to do- one economy to double, it takes 50 years or, and now seven years. And then uh, when you have all these things, it will take yeah. less and less time to double. And after the economy with the yeah. production will be doubling in weeks, in days, in minutes. Yeah. Uh, and it's crazy to even- <laughs> yeah think about this (laughs) yeah but that's where we're going you know that's like it feels like that's where we're going it's like at some point we're going to be limited by the materials that we have to make the things that the robots are making but at some point the robots will go out and figure out how to get that the raw materials in a cheaper easier more plentiful way you know we'll have ai systems that can solve for, like, for example, if I were to use the petroleum uh, example, you know, in the United States or, you know, globally too, once we started having a tough time finding oil by like regular means, we started fracking. And so fracking is a different technology that goes in the rock and creates cracks in the rock. And then you can draw oil out of like reserves that are tough to get at, but fracking, you know, is a technology, right? But in 10 years time, you could be like, Mr. AI or Mrs. AI, uh, can you tell me a better way? Can you solve for a better way to get blah, right? Much better than humans can. And then the robot can just be like, okay, that makes sense. I'm going to go do it. And then the robots just go do it. (laughs) And that's also going to help bring those costs down and create more and more production, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very, it's very weird. It's a very weird transition. It's, you know, and and I think we can debate how long it's going to take, but short of us killing ourselves with a nuclear war or something tragic happening, this seems like the likeliest outcome that we're going to live in a world where basically almost anything we can think of, something just fell, basically almost anything we can think of will be at our, it, like within, within hands, like it's like right there and it won't cost that much at, if anything, really, because we're not going to be making them. Robots are going to be making them. AI is going to be making it and AI is going to be solving for ways to do it better all the time, constantly getting better, constantly getting faster, constantly getting smarter. It's so wild, dude. It's so weird. Where do you stand on the debate, on the disagreement, on the fight that Elon had with Larry Page, the CEO of, of Google? Yeah. And they stopped being friends because one uh, person, which Larry Page, 
believes that we should let evolution do its thing. And if we are going to, uh, if they will kill us all, maybe for a greater future of the planets or the human or the cosmos or something, let it be. But Elon Musk is saying, no, let's make sure that the people will be safe. Uh, first, where do you stand on this debate? Yeah, this is this is like a for me. It's so, such an easy answer, right? And it's and this is especially more not now that I'm expecting a kid, like a son. All right, if if I'm just letting the AI, like if you think I'm comfortable with having another thing decide what's best for me and my kid, no, I don't like that at all. I don't like I don't like that at all. Uh, I don't I don't care how much smarter or how much more benevolent, you know, how much more uh, benevolent and benevolent can't even say the word right. Uh, and, and how kind this AI thing is in, in sort of the image of perfection and the image of the universe. The idea that I somehow have to succumb to that doesn't sit well with me at all. I want to be able to craft my own future for what I want, because like what what else does it mean to be alive? You know, and that people will say, well, there's a higher, you know, there's a higher purpose. There's a higher being in there. I'm like, okay, I, I understand, you know, I'm not particularly re religious. I, I would say that I'm starting to really become a little bit more spiritual in a way. Like I'm starting to feel more connected to the universe in some, in some way. But for me, it's like, but I still don't understand why somebody would be comfortable just allowing the artificial intelligence to make decisions for on our behalf that could also mean you know delete humans or you know let's let's not worry about humans this is where we're going to go that doesn't sit well with me at all i think i think humans as we're alive for a reason and ending ending being alive doesn't mean, seem like a solution <laughs> like i'm just alive to just disappear forever and maybe I'm naive. Maybe my brain's too small. Maybe I'm not thinking about this big enough. Maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not at the level of where Larry is, where he's thinking about this stuff. Maybe I'm being too greedy about what I mean to the universe. Maybe I think of myself as too valuable. But I don't know, man. Like, I don't okay. know. I, I, I will I'm say much more on Team Elon I, in that case. I, I will say something stupid here, uh, but uh, we are a bunch of monkeys on Earth. So uh, how do we, what do we know about what's the greater good or all this stuff that maybe, and the AI with all the data and all the information us collect that, that will be a lot smarter than us. Maybe it will know something more if they will let us live or let us, or if we need to die for the greater good and go discover all the other human beings in the other universes, and I don't know. So um, this is kind of some argument to support uh, Larry's uh, opinion because he's not here. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, and I appreciate that. And, I, and you know, I, 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 can, I can definitely... You know, I don't understand it, but I can see it. <laughs> like I can see that point. But for me, it's like for me, it's like okay, then why why be alive then? Why live? What's the purpose of us being alive then? Well, for now, in, we need to be alive for us to do stuff and create what we think is the future. Uh, but uh, maybe at some point. Uh, we did our thing like 
when you are 85 years old and you created a child and they have grandchildren and all this stuff, they will take over. You will die anyway. So we are going to die anyway in 50 years. So let them do what uh, uh, is, I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. so stupid to argue about this stuff. Me too. So, so let's, <laughs> let's move to... <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move to to the next uh, topic which uh, i'm not sure if you are super familiar with it which is Neuralink. Mm. yeah i i'm uh i'm a little bit familiar with it i'm not nearly as in-depth as say uh folks that follow very closely there's this gentleman called ryan oh my god i'm, I'm blanking on his last name but if you look at he has a podcast called neuropod i believe which is which is a great great uh, resource for people to to go check out. Um, yeah, I mean Neuralink is for me. Neuralink feels very far away still. I know in in the next few years they're going to start trialing the technology for people that have lost you know the ability to move their limbs, the ability to see. Uh, it could potentially solve for some mental disorders potentially, um, which is all extremely exciting. But I think over time, like the 20, 30, 40 year goal of the technology is to be able to have humans be able to communicate with each other uh, telepathically almost and like have it so that you can access humanity's consciousness through your brain. You know, it's kind of like if you can't beat them, jo beat them, join them. That's like the idea behind it. Let's have Neuralink so we can be. Uh, as close to AI as possible so that we can influence AI in a positive way. We don't let it just kind of do its thing. That's kind of the overarching goal. So it's an exciting technology for sure. But again, it opens a can of worms, right? If you can always be in here and being in here feels a thousand times better than real world or whatever that means, then what, what's the point of the real world, right? And like it, it, it's, it's a Pandora's box that we're opening that feels very exciting that I think is going to be hopefully net benefit for, for humanity, but it is a Pandora's box. And that's one thing that I'm trying to like be very cognizant of is society and humanity will have, will be impacted, impacted by this greatly at some point, but it is very, very, the thought of having people potentially be able to walk again because of this is insane. Like, I love that. Of course. Why wouldn't we want that? That's like insanely, insanely great. And then once we go 20 years down the road, then I'm like, okay, I think we want that. But what does that mean? <laughs> like, what does the world look like then when we are able to do everything from our minds? And, you know, like me picking up this thing in my hand in the physical world, I can do the same exact thing in the digital world. It will feel the same. It will look the same. It will smell the same. It will taste the same. You know, then what's the point of the physical world at that point? Why do you think uh, Elon is was and is able to see so far ahead in the future that's a that's a great question um i mean i i think you know again i don't know him personally but i would say he's probably this way because of just who he is you know, if you read if you read his biography from Walter Isaacson, which is really freaking yes. good, I highly recommend everybody checks that out. So it's yes, called we're Elon going Musk. to talk talk about that later because that was a fucking crazy book. Yeah, continue. Yeah, <laughs> it was wild. It was wild. Um, I think I think he's just a naturally curious person, 
and I think his his ability to solve uh, challenges and 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 technology. I just think I just think the way he solves problems, he solves by thinking about the end goal. And this is almost like it's almost like uh, maybe it's a learned. Maybe he learned this skill while he was building his businesses. And, you know, maybe the logic tree is uh, if I'm trying to build something that's super helpful for humanity, I need to think about the end state of what I want that thing to look like. And then every step that I need to take to get there is this, 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 and this, and this. And so everything he does on any given day is based on getting to that end goal. And he's able to conceptualize what that end goal should be. And that's maybe where he's very unique. That's where his genetics kick in and his life experiences kick in. And that's what sets him apart from everybody else. Um, that's what I think, I mean, if I were to guess. And if you read the book, that's kind of like, I think there are some clues to that in the book as well. You know, just his grand vision. The fact that, you know, when Walter says, I used to think that he would just say this because to, to, you know, to motivate people and to make people feel excited about the future just as a marketing ploy, but not really like he deeply believes this. Like he's actually really, really, he wants this to happen for not just for himself, for, but for his fellow human beings. You know, if you're thinking about that all the time, then my guess is just probably spending a lot of time also thinking about, okay, how do I get to that end point? And so versus like, you know, maybe a lot of business leaders are like, okay, how do I maximize profit? How do I maximize revenue? How do I lower costs? That's not a vision. You know, that's not a, this is what it needs to look like. This is a, here's what I have today. And these are the levers I have to pull to uh, raise my sales by 10% or lower my costs by 10%, you know, instead of like, this is what I want it to look like. And I, I mean, let's give credit to people like Jeff Bezos. Let's give credit to people like freaking Bill Gates and uh, all these other people, entrepreneurs as well, that have a similar ability of setting a grand goal for what they what they want their companies to be and then reaching it. It's just Elon is able to do this over and over and over and over and over again, right? Most people do this once or twice in their career. Elon's done this like 15 times. And he keeps doing it. <laughs> so he doesn't burn out, obviously. So, I mean, he does burn out probably, but he he's able to push through the burnout. And I think it's it's something that is very near to him as a person. Like he connects with it deeply. And that's why he's able to do it constantly is because I think he's personally very much invested in ensuring that the outcome does come to fruition. Like he almost, maybe he views himself, you know, that was one, one of my takeaways from the book too, is like maybe he views himself as, as somebody that, if he's not constantly working towards those goals, that he is not doing everything he can as a human being to be helpful. Maybe that that gives him a lot of anxiety. That if he's not doing that all, all the time, that maybe it just it's debilitating anxiety. You know, because I, I do think I mean he clearly has a lot of demons. He has a lot of things he has to work through as a human being. And you know, and in his interview with New York Times on that panel where he said GFY, there was also another great question about you know, his mind being a storm. Is it a happy storm or a, or a sad storm, angry storm? And he, he said that it's not a happy storm, you know? And yeah, so I think that fuels him too, to get those long-term visions done because the unhappy storm 
you know, we'll show you what the bleak thing looks like. You know, if we don't transition to uh, sustainable energy, we will collapse because we'll run out of oil. If we don't become a multiplanetary species, we will collapse because we'll just die on Earth at some point. You know, like the whole X thing. If we don't ensure that freedom of speech exists, we'll all succumb to an authoritarian regime that's going to collapse society potentially. These are very like existential anxiety ridden missions <laughs> that somebody like me, for example, if I were to take that on, I'll just die on day five because I have too much anxiety from trying to figure this thing out. <laughs> but he's somebody that I think has figured out how to become very, he's figured out how to make a part of his being, I think. And that's why he's so successful at completing those visions. Um, curious to hear your thoughts on this idea that I have for the answer that I ask you the question as well. So I think the reason why he's so ahead uh, of uh, he, in the future his ideas is because he's an actual he's a philosopher and and scientist in a way, and he thinks about yeah. problems fundamentally and nothing else. So where humanity is going, how the future will be like in a way and being able to picture it and like uh, where our impulses and all this stuff. And that's probably the big, and having a, is so unique that you can have a business mind, you can have all these skills or blah, 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 complementing that. But I think that's where this is coming from. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I agree with you 100%. I think the philosophy part of it is is totally is totally there too. Cuz you mean when you when you listen to him talk to other people like he trends towards philosophy often. Like uh, you know, as somebody that's been that's probably listened to every freaking interview he's given, in every single interview he's given, there's some sort of philosophical me, undertone. Me too. You are you the know? first one in the world. Yeah. I was talking with Mr. Beast as well, and he, we were competing which one is the biggest Elon Musk fan. So it's, it's very rare <laughs> to find a person that pinch more interviews than you. <laughs> yeah. He's just such a fascinating person. He really is. He's so unique and, and just fascinating and you know, it, it's it's just as another human being, I'm just watching him. I'm like, dude, the, the, this dude's so unique. It's just so. It, there's no one else like him. He's a, he's a, he's a unique person in humanity. But I, I do think that the philosopher, like the, the philosopher, sort of uh, undertone is is very much there, and you can see it in his words. You can see it about how he thinks about everything fundamentally. And you know, if you really think about like a first principles approach of physics, of trying to not reason by analogy, by reasoning by the truth, the core truths is a philosophy in a way, because that's, that's philosophical. You know, we, we, we like what are philosophers really good at, like you said, is getting to the root cause of, of, of existence. Like, why do we exist? What, what are the core things that, um, are building the foundation of where everything else is built? And that's just physics, bro. But it's, he's just applying it to just existence in a way. I, I think I, I'm really happy you said that. That's, I've never really thought about that before. I think you're 100% right. Uh, coming to uh, what the question that I ask every guest. Are you ready? Yes. I give you $1 trillion. How do you spend it for maximum okay. impact in the world? Positive impact. Man, 
I hate this question. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, so the, the, the biggest challenge that I, you know, the biggest challenge with money is that when you have that much money, is that it's going to be so easy to waste it. It's going to be so easy to waste it. So what my head goes towards is like, okay, what is the maximum amount of sort of thing that we can get out of each dollar spent? Because the last thing I want to do is take a trillion dollars, take, say, a billion of that, put it towards an effort that I think is going to work. But because I've personally never deployed a billion dollars worth of capital, that I'm going to be afraid that I'm going to somehow waste 80% of it. I hire the wrong person. I give it to the wrong charity. I work on something that's not actually helping people, right? And then you're just kind of like, you're just dumping all this incredibly impactful stuff into things that are not actually helping anything. It's just kind of like waste. Like I almost become like a government. You know, if you ha- if I have a trillion dollars to maximize impact on humanity, it's, I would be no different than a government, like the US government trying to allocate a trillion dollars of its budget, right? But it's up to me to decide. So here's what I would do, because I've never actually thought about what I would do with a trillion dollars, but that's, it's a great question. The process would be, I would start very small. I would start very small. I would figure out who are the people that I'm going to partner with that I know will deploy this uh, cash in a way that is maximally helpful for humanity. And I would somehow want to be able to um, really get close to how this money is actually deployed. So like, this is like what Mr. Beast does extremely well. He is very close to how the money he's using to like, to give to charity or to put towards the philanthropic causes. He's, he's there. He's boots on the ground. He knows exactly where the money's going and he's filming what's happening. Right. So. I think that model is, is beautiful. I don't know if I will broadcast it to the world. You know, I, maybe I will. That's probably smart. Maybe Mr. Beast will get some competition finally, <laughs> but it would be one of those things where I would have to start small because my, my goal would be to maximize every dollar. And so what are the sort of some of the core things that humanity needs the most to me? I think shelter, food, shelter, food, like, like what are the core essentials for humanity? Shelter, food, education. Shelter, food, education. So that I, I would do those three things. And uh, I would just have to figure out, okay, for every dollar that I spend on education, what's the best, uh, what's the best way? Do, should I, I don't know, should I start small in a village somewhere and, and, you know, set up some sort of school that is able to teach these kids and, and the people in that village, uh, about the world and economics and other, countries languages and all that stuff i'll start local as well i'll help my local community do it so you know this is probably a very long answer to your question but this is how i think about this stuff is like i need to come up with a process to ensure that no dollar gets wasted and um and hopefully over time i'll scale up bigger and bigger but the three root things that i'll probably start with are that are foundational to humans is food shelter education and then as we get bigger and we impact more lives, maybe we'll do other things as well. You mentioned uh, the book of Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson. Mm-hmm. How was your experience reading it? It was very interesting. Uh, I felt that Walter did a really good job uh, being neutral 
one of the things that I'm sick of and tired of in this day and age is that there are so many people, so many journalists and writers that feel like they have to insert their opinion on something that's happening. What I loved about Walter was that he just showed us what it was for what it was. So here it is. This is what the guy is. The great things, the terrible things, the ugly things, the beautiful things. And the reader, as a reader, I felt like I was able to formulate my own opinion on what I saw and what I read. Um, to me, you know, so outside of Walter doing a, doing a really freaking good job writing that book, to me, what, what I think my takeaway is that I do think Elon, in a way, I kind of feel bad for him, to be honest, uh, like, uh, like as a human, like I definitely don't feel bad for him as far as like, how much wealth and power he has. The dude can take care of himself for sure. Uh, there's nothing I can do that will make his life better. <laughs> He's in, in a really, really good spot. But I think like, you know, like from a human aspect of it, I, I do think, you know, he, he's, he's a, he's somebody that's a little bit of a tortured soul. I, he does definitely come across as somebody who has had, you know, the hardship of his, of his younger years and maybe even his later years, I think has made him, he's, it's made him afraid to be comfortable is, is my sense is that if he's not comfortable and living like a normal quote unquote life, it seems like he's just overridden with anxiety. And he is very much attracted to chaos, but I can totally understand that because, you know, while I was at Tesla, it really exposed me to what, to what being in a chaotic environment really means and overcoming challenges in a, in a, in a chaotic environment. And I'm sure you feel this as a, as a big creator as you are, like if you get a high from solving difficult things, from achieving big things. You feel incredible. And when you're surrounded by other people that do that same exact thing with you, it feels like you've all gone to war and won. And I think he's addicted to that feeling. I think he's addicted to that feeling and he can't get away from it. And when he gets away from it for too long, I think he has a lot of demons that he, he's, he battles through that makes him feel uncomfortable. And he goes and buys Twitter. <laughs> When he feels that way, you know? So yeah, it, that's, that's the sort of takeaway I got from Elon. I, I think, I think he can't help himself, but to try and be useful every moment that he's, that he's awake. He almost feels like an existential need to be useful. I think sometimes that ends up doing more harm than good, but he's human and he's allowed to be human. You know, where, where some people are like, oh, this is proof that this person is a bad person. For me, it's like, this is proof that this is a human being. And yeah, it was very eye-opening from that perspective. You know, I think it humanized him a lot too, to other people. I think a lot of people that maybe were viewing him as like a kind of like a do no wrong figure, which I don't think anybody should be viewed ever. I think it humanized them in a way that's like, yeah, this dude makes mistakes just like you and I do. It's just, he's, he has a, he's learned from his life experiences on how to, put those to good use in a lot of cases. And sometimes it goes wrong, but it does seem like he's a good person and he will correct for it at some point. So it was wild. Uh, one of the things that it was very crazy for me is that he cannot stay alone. 
I couldn't believe that he cannot stay alone. Yeah, I, uh, I, I can. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of what I described, you know, if if you're if you're alone, you you get to fight this guy in here. You get to fight your mind when you're alone, right? Uh, so the the clue I'm not and listen I'm not a psychiatrist I'm like talking like a freaking psychiatrist here I have no idea what I'm talking about this is just what I think is happening, but when you're alone you you're you know I'm sure you've experienced this your mind starts to take over, and if you're not at peace with what's in here it becomes difficult to be alone I think. Uh one of the things that you mentioned, this book showed so much vulnerability of this, uh, of him and vulnerability as far as I know from my experiences with YouTube, when I became more vulnerable and all this stuff, it's when you create people to relate to you and create fans that actually love you because of who you are. So it made him not look like this figure that is untouchable. It made him feel like a human. So I agree with you, but it did a lot, this book, uh, especially, especially for me that I was his fan, it, like made me his best friend, not only his fan. So, so it's, <laughs> sure. it's, it, it, it's interesting. Okay. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, one uh, report, one uh, journalist told me to say uh, this question close to the end. Do you have anything that you feel that we didn't talk about uh, today uh, anything that you think we should mention i mean i i think we covered a lot man there was this was a really awesome sort of long-ranging discussion about a lot of really interesting topics to me i think you did a really good job asking very interesting questions i like i love your interview style because it's like very conversational and you're just asking like a big question and you let somebody or maybe this is just me. You're letting me talk way too much. <laughs> but I love how like you you frame your questions to be big picture. Um, and I, you know, from that standpoint, I think I think we've hit really everything that is that is big picture and stuff that, you know, like this kind of conversation doesn't really happen all that often, especially, you know, as it pertains to like like somebody like an Elon, like if, if like Elon in the say mainstream media is a disaster. Elon and legacy media is a disaster. And so like this sort of like conversation around, you know, as, as somebody that has, you know, what does his social power mean? What does his, uh, you know, money power mean? What kind of a person is he? Like stuff like that's very interesting in addition to all the other companies that, you know, of his companies that we talked about. So from my standpoint, I thought we, we hit a lot. And, uh, unless you have anything else for me, I, I, I don't think we, I, I can't think of anything. <laughs> Yes. Before we move to the last uh, last question, I just want to to say that uh, oh my god, I really really enjoyed this conversation. Probably this was one of my favorite podcasts, if not the favorite, because uh, I think we connect and understand each other more deeply because we are both fans of Elon. We both I don't know have the education from Elon, and that we're similar type of people, and you need to be similar type of person yeah. to to be so I, I really connected with you and now we're moving to the last question which i'm sure you're not going to like <laughs> well likewise man I, I i really do feel connection to you too and I, yeah i agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. so you are going to die after this podcast and if you actually die Great. in the next 50 100 years we're going to have this 
seconds, 40, 50 seconds to look back to what are your last words, what you want to broadcast to the world or to your family. So uh, the stage is yours to close the podcast with your last words. Huh. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking deeply on this because I, I want to test this out when my time comes. I'm going to be like, go check out this video and see if it was this, the, the answer. <laughs> if it was the same thing. Um, I think... I think we live in a time where the vision could really put us in a really bad place as a species. And I really hope that everybody... You know, my gut feel is that everybody knows that we are all the same. We're all human beings. We have, when I feel love, you feel love in the same way. When I feel hate, you feel hate in the same way, right? It's just the context is different. So I guess like if I had any last words, they would be, let's all just come together and give each other a huge hug as humans. Doesn't matter what our creed is, what our background is. Let's love each other for what we have in common and accept our differences, knowing that we're all humans in the end and we're all in this together. Those are my last words. Thank you for your time. Namaste. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> I love you all. <laughs>